0: 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Amen. We'll end our reading at verse 26, and may the Lord be pleased to bless the public reading of his word to every soul for his name's sake. Let's bow together in prayer. Our gracious Father in heaven, we rejoice again today that we come to Thee on the ground of grace and mercy. We thank Thee, Father, that we have not earned our way into this place, but that Christ has earned it for us. And so, Lord, we pray that today, as we come to meditate upon Thy Word and to contemplate That which thy word directs, we pray that today thy spirit will enable the proclamation of thy word to every soul. O Lord, let the word of God be that means of grace today that prepares us to come to partake of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. So hear us, Lord, today we pray. Open every soul to receive the word of God. And may this be a day of salvation in the house of the Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Few aspects of Christian worship over the centuries have been the occasion of more confusion than the Lord's Supper. The confusion some ignorant and some malicious, began during the lifetimes of the apostles. We know that is so because we have here the words, the inspired words of the Apostle Paul that addressed that confusion. When the Lord Jesus Christ instituted the remembrance of his broken body and his shed blood, On the night before he was crucified, the apostles were present. Well, except for Paul, of course. And for them, there was no doubt about what the Lord intended by his words and actions. But those who despised the truth, and yes, in the first century, there were people who despised the truth, the truth concerning Jesus Christ, concerning his person and his work, they saw opportunities in this particular act of worship to undermine that truth. There were attempts to make the Lord's Supper either more or less than what the Lord proclaimed it to be. Before the first century ended, and it is remarkable to contemplate this truth, some suggested that the Lord's Supper was not only a remembrance of the death of Christ, but in some way a reenactment of that death. So, even while the Apostle John was still living, there were people who undertook to subvert the truth of the Lord's Supper. There were others who took the requirement for self-examination, of which we read in this passage, to mean that believers had to confess their sins to ministers before they could partake of the Lord's Supper. As time went by, the simplicity of Christ's institution became a more and more elaborate ritual in which the symbols took the focus and overwhelmed the significance that Christ intended them to represent and left the people clamoring for a visual spectacle instead of a time of quiet reflection. Understanding the apostles' words to the Corinthians, such trends were the devil's devices to pervert the truth. One of the major emphases in this passage, of course, is that of eating and drinking In a worthy manner. Those who partake of the elements of the Lord's Supper unworthily, we learn in this passage, court the judgment of God. To eat and drink in a worthy fashion is to do so by faith alone. Faith in Christ alone will enable you to meditate on what the symbols represent. Sometimes people whose motives are right misunderstand the effect of the Lord's Supper, the purpose of it. Some think that if unbelievers partake of the Lord's Supper, that they will come from their unbelief to unite with the church. And that policy in the early centuries, led to the confirmation of unbelievers in their unbelief and introduced turmoil into the work of Christ. Now this morning, we are preparing to partake of the Lord's Supper ourselves. So we join in that centuries-long train of believers who have carried out the very same acts that we will do today. But we have to ponder the key aspects of the actions the Lord directed his disciples to perform. For those actions are themselves an expression of faith and an edification of faith. So let us consider today the theme, faith, at the Lord's table. The problem we have with the words that are before us is they are familiar to us. We have heard them many times. But we have to be on our guard today lest our familiarity with these words should lead us to miss the impact of what they direct us to do. And this morning we want to consider four actions that we find set before us in these verses. First, giving God thanks. It sounds basic. But we ought to remember that the Lord gave thanks for the bread. You read that in verse 24. And when he, that is the Lord, had given thanks. Thanks to whom? Thanks to the Father. Thanks for what? Thanks for this institution of this significant remembrance. The word that lies behind the phrase give thanks in verse 24 is the word from which we get our English word Eucharist. Eucharist. Now that's a transliteration of the word from the original language. So when you hear the English word Eucharist, you hear the Greek word Eucharist. Now, as soon as we realize the impact of that word in this context, we understand that this word, Eucharist, has developed more significance than simply giving thanks to the Lord. Now, that word has assumed the atmosphere of ritual religion of incense and bells and all the rest. But I want us to look today at the meaning of the word in other portions of the New Testament to learn that that association is not valid. First of all, let us turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15. And verse 36: And he that is our Lord took the seven loaves and the fishes and gave thanks. It is the same word. He gave thanks and brake them and gave to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. Then let us turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. Luke, chapter 17. And verse 15. And one of them, that is one of the lepers whom Christ cleansed, one of the ten, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. Again, the word Eucharist. And he was a Samaritan. So there are two instances where it's clear that the giving of thanks is for that work of the Father in the case of Matthew 15, and the work of Christ in Luke 17. But let us now turn to Acts chapter 27. Going out of the realm now of the life of Christ, and in Acts 27 and verse 35, we come to the act of the Apostle Paul. And in verse 34, having told them that all of them are going to be saved, in verse 34, Paul said to them on the ship in the midst of the storm, Wherefore, I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health, for there shall not an hair fall from the head of any of you. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in presence of them all, and when he had broken it, he began to eat. So there's the same word again. He gave thanks, and it's clear that this is the fundamental meaning of this word in the New Testament. Now one other reference, and that is in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And verse 18, here is the inspired apostle's directive to the Thessalonian believers and by extension to us. In everything, give thanks. In everything, engage in the Eucharist. Engage in giving thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I think that those references establish, I'm sure that they establish, the force of this expression that we have in First Corinthians chapter 11, where the Lord gave thanks for the bread. So let's look at its meaning in this context. Because part of what we do at the Lord's table is then To give thanks. That is why, when we are to partake of the elements, we ask a brother to give thanks to the Lord, because that's part of what we are to do here. We're not just giving thanks for the elements, though. We're giving thanks for what they represent. The broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. We give thanks then, not only for the bread, but we give thanks that Christ's body was broken for us. We give thanks not only then for the cup, the New Testament in Christ's blood, but we give thanks that Christ's blood was shed for us. So there ought to be then, in every believing heart, the attitude at the Lord's table of thanksgiving. And here we are in the month of thanksgiving, so it's appropriate that we contemplate this theme. Thanksgiving for what our Lord suffered for our redemption. That is the first action that the Scriptures direct at the Lord's table, giving God thanks. But let us go on to the second action now, which is obeying the Word. Obeying the Word. Because there's a command here, that we cannot overlook. How are we to do these actions? We are to do them, Jesus Himself said, in remembrance of Him. Verse 24 at the end of the verse, this do in remembrance of me. Verse 25 at the end of the verse, as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, this do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now we're going to deal with the second half of the command that we find in verse 26 later, but I want us to focus on the fact that we're dealing with that which Jesus commanded. That is, this is a command that deals with the mind. Remember remember. Use your mind to remember. Now we can't remember in the same way that those who were present on the occasion of the institution of the Lord's Supper could remember. They could remember actually being there. They could remember hearing those words spoken. We can't remember in that way. But we have the words of Scripture. We know what Jesus said. Our attendance and participation at the Lord's table is the testimony that we give from our hearts that we are followers of the Word of the Lord. That we are conducting our lives in obedience to the Word of the Lord. So we say before God here and before our fellow believers here, that we take the commands of God seriously. That we commit to carrying them out. Because the Scripture emphasizes this kind of obedience. We remember the example in the Old Testament. I think not too long ago, Mary was reading through this portion and we were talking about it, that Saul was commanded to wipe out all the Amalekites. All of them. I think about how that would go down in the world's media today. And he wiped out all of them except for their possessions. And then when Samuel came, Saul said, well, I've done what the Lord commanded. And Samuel said, well, what is the significance of the bleeding of the sheep that I hear? And that was the occasion where Samuel said to Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than religious worship. There are similar precepts in the New Testament. Turn to the Gospel of John chapter 14. John 14 and verse 21. Jesus said on the night in which He instituted the Lord's Supper, He that hath My commandments and keepeth them, and keepeth them. So He makes that distinction. Not just enough to have the commandments, but to keep them. He it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Because you see, there are a lot of people who talk about how they love Jesus, but they don't care about his precepts, his commands. So the supper of which we are to partake reminds us that we are to obey the Word of God. And that obedience, which is the second action that the text commands us, leads us to the heart of the text. The third action, remembering the Lord. Here's the heart of it. This is a remembrance. Not just a memorial as some would describe it, but a remembrance that causes us to focus on the fact that the elements of the Lord's Supper represent reality. We come to remember the sufferings of Christ. So we must not come and go from this place today without pondering what our Savior endured for our deliverance. But before we get to that part of the remembrance, let us notice the command that we should eat and drink in remembrance of Him. So at the Lord's table, we consider everything that concerns the Savior, that concerns the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about some of the things that we ought to be having in our minds. Meditating on the reality of his glorious person, that he is God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever, no one like him. We meditate on the reality of how, as One who was in the form of God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So the humility and the condescension of our Lord while he was in this world is something for us to remember. It is what he had to do to deliver us from our sin. We meditate on the power of our Redeemer, His creative acts. We remember when we look about us that nothing exists without Him. That is true in creation in general, but it's also true even in this place. This place does not exist apart from the power of God to bring it to pass. We come to remember His purity and His compassion. He came into this world out of love for His people. He came into this world to submit Himself completely to the will of the Father. So we remember those things about our Lord Jesus Christ. But of course we remember also the reality of His sacrifice, the breaking of His body, the shedding of His blood. So whether you are eating the bread, Or, secondly, in the supper, drinking from the cup, you have to do so remembering Him, remembering the Lord. And that leads me to the fourth action that is just as much a part of the Lord's Supper as the others, awaiting His coming, awaiting His coming. For our Lord Jesus commanded His disciples to engage in this remembrance until Christ's return. So when He said in verse 26, As often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till He come. Was He saying that the Disciples who were present there in the upper room on that occasion, that they would be alive when the Lord came, that is not what he meant. It's obvious that is not what he meant. He meant that those who would follow in their train, and some of those are here in this gathering today, those who would follow in their train, they would continue to give that testimony that Jesus is going to come again. So many people throughout the centuries have taken their last breaths in this world. Some that we have known, but many others that we haven't. But they have taken their last breaths in this world having spent their days hoping that they would be among those to greet the Lord on his return. But this supper here, when we partake of it, demonstrates the fact that we are waiting for him. We're waiting for his coming. So he affirmed that the church, I think that it is well to point it out, the church will continue in the world until the coming of Christ. It's not going to be taken out of the world before Christ comes. It will continue in the world until the coming of Christ because the people of the church in whatever generation they are, are to engage in this remembrance until that day. So when you partake of the elements of the Lord's Supper, you are raising your own testimony that you are waiting You are waiting for Him. Waiting for the appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is going to come. You testify that you're not in despair. That you're not overwhelmed by the circumstances around you. Because you know how it will end. You know that Christ is coming again. And when you partake of these elements, you undertake that testimony. He is coming again. I don't know when that will be. We sang about that earlier. Many things that we don't know. I don't know when that will be. I don't know the day or the hour. That's knowledge that only the Father has. I don't know when that will be. But with the hymn writer we can say, but this I know, he is going to come. And when we lift the bread and the cup and we partake of those elements, that is our testimony. Jesus is coming again. So that when we go away from the table We go with that great testimony ringing in our hearts. He's coming again. Whatever the world is doing, whatever is going on in the world, however perverse the people of the world become, however wicked the leaders of the world are, we testify. We know. This I know. He is coming again. That's our testimony at the Lord's table. And I trust that today, as we think of these actions that we find commanded in our text that we have taken for our message today, that we will undertake those actions, that we will give God thanks, that we will obey the word, that we will engage in this remembrance of our Lord and that we will testify that we are waiting for Him to come. May God bless His Word and prepare our hearts through it as we come to the Lord's table. Let's bow together in prayer. our gracious Father and our eternal God, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we come now to this table of the Lord. And we have to confess, O Lord, that our faith is weak. We have to confess, O Lord, that it's so easy for us to be distracted, to lose sight of the truth. But oh, we pray that today thy spirit will come and quicken us, that thy spirit will come and draw our attention unto these great actions. And that as we take of the elements, thou will enable us to testify concerning Christ and our remembrance of him in his person and his work and of his coming again. O Lord, give us grace. We pray for that grace today. We pray for the cleansing that we need from sin through the merits of the blood of the Savior. O Lord, draw near to us, we pray, Grant that as we partake of these elements, we can rejoice in that thou hast not left us to our own devices, but once again thou hast brought us to the bedrock of this reality. So hear our cry, we pray. Continue with us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.